0: This is Dolio, an original thriller fiction podcast presented in serialized format, a chapter at a time, written by Jared Canton, narrated by Joshua Canton, a Steady Chaos production. And now, a quick word from the Canton brothers. Thank you for listening to Season 1 of the Dolio Fiction Podcast. This is our final episode of the season, concluding our story by honoring one of our favorite characters. While this is goodbye for now, please stay engaged, leave us a review on Podchaser, and send us a note on Facebook at Dolio Podcast, or visit our website at doliopodcast.com for information on the show, our media appearances, or swag at our Dolio store. We've already begun writing Season 2, with hopes of releasing it in late fall of 2020. The production of these episodes has been a joy, but one that comes at the immense cost of time, effort, and even money. We do it for the listeners, and if you'd like us to continue and finish the three-season story arc, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to continue creating content if the desire for it remains. Please stay tuned for our Season 1 Dolio movie trailer. We hope to assemble it over the coming weeks, and we'll be releasing it on our website and Facebook. Additionally, I hope to do a live creator presentation of all Season 1 episodes on Facebook, tune in to ask questions, and get our thoughts on the characters, where the story went in Season 1, and where we plan to take it in Season 2. For now, so long, and thanks for sticking with us. Episode 28 epilogue rain dark fast-moving clouds frozen slush-filled streets and a sharp, biting wind that slapped raindrops against already wet faces, made for a terribly uncomfortable day, but set a fitting mood for Detective Ross's funeral. I was in week two of leave from my prosecutorial post when Mayor Daly announced the funeral, and in week three when the day finally arrived. I watched from the sidewalk as a slow cascade of bagpipers strolled by. Identically dressed men played regal note after note, filling the streets with overlapping noises that vaguely resembled music. Following them was a hearse, impeccably waxed, coaxing rain droplets into tiny raging rivers along its finish. Perpendicular rows of five officers bookended each side, and small American flags waved, one perched above each headlight. Next came the mounted officers, striding proudly atop their beasts the clack of hoofs mingling into the noise of the bagpipes. Taking up the procession's rear were evenly spaced rows of Boston's finest. Unfortunately mingled in those same rows were some of Boston's least finest. Cops on the take, cops with power trips, egos, agendas, and tempers that didn't quite suit the ideals of their profession. The bad blended invisibly within the hundreds of heroes. Straight-edged cops, good men, admirable women. I didn't know much about Ross. What I did know, I liked. It was hard not to. His hard wit, dedication, persistence, resilient competence all shined through in our encounters. He wasn't a vengeful guy, just a guy that wanted truth, wanted to enforce the law and keep people safe. I had learned much from reading his notepad, a good portion of it about myself. Dad once said. The greatest challenge in a life isn't modifying behaviors to mold another's perception. Rather, it's learning to allow others in on the true, unaltered image of oneself. We inherently want others to hold us in high regard, and when they don't, we resort to bending the rays we give off to misrepresent the shine of who we really are. I had been guilty of this much my life. Born with a disability, I had yearned simply to fit in. As an adult, I had hidden my disability from almost everyone. And eventually, I'd even taken a second identity. An identity that made the condition a tool, not a liability. Just weeks ago, I'd thought the worst possible outcome would have been for Ross to discover that I was Dolio. His notes confirmed that he'd known all along, with intermittent doubt littering correct conclusions. What Ross had been wrestling with, what made him good, decent, and moral, was his decision on how to use that information. Ross wasn't an idealist. He was too grizzled to be so naive. He knew that I was employing methods that he could never get away with, especially in the age of the internet and 24-hour media. I think secretly he knew the city needed Dolio, at least for a while. And by letting me sidestep his grasp, by letting me think I was a step ahead, he was essentially grooming me for the role. In looking back, had he not been shot, I wonder if he would have taken me in, or if he would have taken me somewhere to talk. Maybe a place he could impart some wisdom. The answer to those questions, I'd likely never know. The synchronized clap of the rifles pulled me to the present. Out of the trance I'd been in for the near mile I had walked, my mind muddled with thought. Now, at the cemetery, the rifles jerked back again, causing each officer's shoulder to jolt slightly. The sound of unified gunfire chimed again. The echo carried the noise gently off into the distance in sadly decreasing volume. With each explosion, Ross became closer and closer to a mere memory. The men lowered their guns. Several officers set Ross's casket atop his resting spot, and one slowly folded the flag atop into a small triangle. The man, now holding the red and white shape as if it were made of a fragile glass, stoically, but rigidly approached a middle-aged woman dressed in black. He handed her the flag, and she immediately buried her face into a teenage boy's shoulder. He, too, was dressed in black, with large sunglasses and long, shaggy hair that I presume Ross had hated while he were alive. I couldn't help but haunch under the immense guilt stewing in my gut. I swallowed hard, forcing down the acidic spit at the back of my throat. I coughed silently, tasted sourness, heard more cries of loss watched as the coffin slowly descended out of sight, processed all the sounds of a funeral in honor of somebody much too young to star in such an event, heard his wife let out a final, uncontrollable wail of emotion, and saw the boy's face twist in pain, at the loss of a father, and at the pain of his one remaining parent. Then, the atmosphere shifted. From sounds that were supposed to happen at funerals to sounds that weren't. A gunshot, a hundred feet or so behind me. Then, the patter of glass on the sidewalk. I swung around to see a glass-free window several stories up in the building just a couple streets width away. Remaining shards of glass fell, and then a man's body flew lifelessly from the window. Not like a diver, or body jumping into a pool, but like a ragdoll tossed across a child's room. His arms and legs flailed and then, after a ten-foot drop stopped hard. A rope stretched and caught, sending the body bouncing back upward. Then the man hung, obviously dead, and as his body came to rest, a large white sheet attached to his feet unrolled downward, spreading flat like a billboard. I tried to read as people ran, screaming, fleeing from the shot in sight of the dead man. The sheet had large, spray-painted red lettering that said, Ross was dirty, and so are we but I'm not Dolio, and neither was he, her. The man hanging from the 11th story window was dressed in formal police blues, and from the looks of his remains, somebody had extracted what information they could, aggressively, and then disposed of him, which meant by now, they likely had the information they needed, and my mind reverted to Rodney's vague, ominous warning about, quote, her. I tabled the thought in the midst of the panic. I scanned the bodies running about, looked for the one that I needed to speak with, and found it. Still as motionless as moments earlier when his father had been lowered into the earth. Saw thirty feet behind the boy as his mother ducked her head into a black Lincoln feverishly waving her arm, urging her son to follow. He didn't. He stood still, proud, almost defiantly staring at the large white sheet that boldly declared, falsely declared, that his father was anything but an honest, hard-working detective. I sprinted for the boy against a wave of human traffic, as the cops flooded towards the building to track down the man that had flung the officer out the window. As I broke clear of them, the casket's top came into view, only half descended into the grave. The young man, probably twenty, made eye contact with me, and somehow appeared to understand that I held something significant something he desperately needed. He lowered his head and knelt down at the casket lowering device, placed his hand to the crank, and without a word, as the rain intensified, began to slowly lower his father the remaining feet to his final rest. You have something for me? I wasn't sure if it was a question, or if the boy's intuition about his father was so strong that he just knew. I do. I figured. The night before he died, he asked me, how do you stop a man that's doing the right thing the wrong way? How do you? I asked. I told him you don't. You teach him the right way. The boy stood, grabbed the long, wet wooden shovel handle and scooped up a spade full of mud. He tilted the shovel sideways and the clump of sticky mud fell atop the casket. He threw the shovel like a javelin, sticking it upright in the muddy pile of dirt, walked towards me and stomped. I pulled Ross's notepad from my pocket, reached my arm out and let him take it. I couldn't let you live the rest of your life without seeing this. Regardless of the risk it poses to certain people I hold dear. The boy glanced at the cover, A flash of recognition overwhelmed his face. He stared at me, wet, sad, exhausted. He pulled his glasses off and wiped his face on his shoulder. Your dad wasn't Dolio, and I know firsthand that he wasn't dirty. If you read that, you'll know too. He didn't say anything. I turned to walk away leaving the only document in existence that could link me to Dolio in the hands of a mere boy. A boy that had a right, like every boy does, to an open and honest relationship with his father. Or in this case, his father's good memory. I didn't know what he'd do with it. I didn't know if anything could help him deal with the loss of his father. But as I left, he spoke. He was going to teach you the right way, you know. I turned my back, nodded, and walked away, not only from a boy that had lost his father, but from a city, my city, that still stirred monsters in the dark. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed Dolio, please come back for future episodes arriving at regular intervals and subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast application.